Hello. <clears throat> Hello. How's my voice sounding? Perfect. Oh, that's good because I got food poisoning a couple of days ago, and I've been I've been uh, throwing up a lot, and uh, so I thought my voice might sound pretty harsh, but that's good that it sounds good. No, I, I think it sounds exactly the way it should sound. So All right. I think we're good and, to go. <laughs> yeah, on my end, it's real clear. It's uh, we're we're good. Uh, I feel like uh, it's a good connection. Yeah, I mean, it could end um, any second because it's you know it's Skype. I, so <laughs> I used to I used to be uh, with this actress, this British actress, and she had tons of Skype meetings and mm-hmm. and Skype auditions and stuff, and she hated them because they'd always want to do video, obviously, mm-hmm. and she brought something really funny to my attention. It's like, especially if you're a woman, Skype tends to freeze, but it always freezes in like an awkward position. So she's like, it's the worst <laughs> in the world because it's a director and producers on the other end of the line and your face freezes in like some ugly position. Correct. And then you get passed because they are looking at the, such <laughs> mm-hmm. a world, but that's reality. Correct, and you know it, it goes and comes. This thing, but it usually works pretty well. But if it's a lot of people on the line, it seems that it's gonna crap out. So if it breaks and you don't hear me, just hang up and call me back. I'll I'll just wait for your call. It's a lot easier to get so that sorted yeah, out yeah. from the beginning. So okay, so the podcast that I'm doing is pretty simple. The idea is that I would either go back teaching students one by one playing music and doing creative stuff because I'm a musician Uh or I could find another method to reach more people and try to talk and convey why creativeness is such a good gift that you should try to work on because I have kids myself and they see me doing a lot of music and a lot of stuff in different creative areas but Uh they they don't really find that thing where they could land on their own creativity so I want this talk to be more about okay what should they be aiming for what can they learn from from guys like you and and girls like everybody else who's out there doing creative stuff so to inspire them to move on from that initial first, ah, I'd like to do something, but I just don't know what. So it, it's a it's a bit of a push, and that's why I try to do with these talks. Try to be more like a mentor or, you know, some yeah. kind of inspirational person. I'm 45, and I've been playing music since I was seven, but, you know, that song and dance doesn't always convey in a message for a musician, but if somebody else talks about it, their experience and their ideas, that might be more helpful than just me yapping or, you know, about my things every time. So that's why I try to find different yeah. people, different areas, different ages, different interests and so on and, and go from there. So that's yeah, the that, idea. That's that's a great idea and, and uh, I like where your head's at with it. That's really cool. Um, I actually was talking to my friend Lizzie Dastin, who's a professor out here, and she runs an Instagram called Art and Seeking. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And she started up a podcast with um, an artist, by the, an old graffiti artist, 
turned fine artist by the name of Justin Bua. Mm-hmm. And um, they started a podcast together. And I was telling her, I was like, I'm feeling like I need to start my own podcast because not only do I have a lot to say, but I have a lot of opinions on, you know, other artists and I have a lot of uh, questions in line for other artists and, and, uh, you know, Instagram is not the forum to have a discussion. It just, it sucks. And, you know, that's why I don't really respond to too many people on there because it's just, like it's an end it's endless you know and and i'll I'll drop three hours of wasted time trying to argue with somebody who's Mm -hmm. never going to see my point of view and so i've decided that uh probably in in the next year gonna start one just so i can like because a lot of the pieces that i do they require like Mm -hmm. well they don't require any explanation but people want to know so i understand but what you're talking about in in that way of kind of talking talking about um like why people do things and 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 how to get doing because i get so many dms about Mm -hmm. how do you do this or like what's going you know and and it's just like i can't sit there and do a tutorial for every individual (laughs) no exactly and that's maybe this is a better form of teaching because in teaching there's also a lot of learning and i've been teaching for almost 30 years now in computers and in digitization and music and so on. And every time I have a class or I do a special episode of something, then in that sense, I am learning so much about what I do and how I thought of the things because, you know, the brain works as it does. There's not a lot of free, uh, free thoughts because your, your body and brain just, it's, just working i don't know what i'm gonna say next but it's you know it's there so i learn from all the stuff i talk and do and so on and in in that learning there's so much teaching and and vice versa so i think it's a good idea to have some kind of method of leaving maybe not a legacy but you know at least some imprint of okay i did this thing here was my initial thoughts of it and I hope you learned something so you can grow and do something that's maybe better or smarter or, or whatever. Because, you know, people need to listen and learn and, and shut up sometimes and just uh, sit back in awe to, to something that they're very impressed about. And yeah. for, for, for me, the, the stuff that you do uh, is impressive. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. I, you know, I have basically no background of you and what you've done more than the Instagram feeds that I've been following. I was like, okay, this guy's head is somewhere my head is at. So I wonder where did this guy start and can I talk to him? And that's why I, I you know, try to try to connect. And that's how I do with everybody that I find interesting. I just go to them and I say, hey, do you want to talk for a bit? Because I'm interested in you. And that's cool, man. I appreciate that. It's really, it's really neat. Um, when did you st- I'm curious, when did you start following along? I think it's been like three, four months now, something like that, because I've been going okay, through. So yeah. You. yeah, so I don't have all the background. I've been just, you know, listening back and checking out stuff that's been happening. And, and I only written down uh, five things that I've been interested in. Uh, one of them is the bags that you've been working on. Yeah. The other one is billboards. And then what I see a lot is 
is co-creation that that you and your friends and co-workers you you hang out and you do stuff and you support each other which i think is super interesting and i think that's something to to talk about too because you're like i play in a lot of bands and i play with a lot of people there's so yeah. much learning in that like yeah collabs and whatever and i think that's a good topic to talk about too and then the recent event that's happened with the, uh, you know, the the funny but super weird pink wall that you have oh, yeah. in LA, and you know, there's not a pink wall in in Gothenburg, Sweden, where I live. I mean, there might be some cool place where kids go and take their selfies, but most of them are just, you know, selfies from where else. But they would like to be at that pink wall, so it stands for for a lot of. Um, interest and frustration and, and and humor for me yeah <laughs> so but let, let's go that's got a funny story so we'll, when we get into it uh, yeah. let, let's let's start a, a bit earlier because there's always some background that's interesting like yeah. where'd you grow up and how do you be, get interested into music art and, and so on and so on so i'll just let you have the stage for a while Okay. okay, so you did more or less just want to know a little bit of personal background and then my sort of journey into into creativity as I grew up. Yes, please. Okay, great. All right, I'll just wax poetic here for a little bit then. Um, so without – I'm in a weird territory right now where I I can't really give – too much away about my personal life for obvious reasons. So I'm going to use. Um, you you clean up whatever you want, and you just yeah, give, give gonna, whatever I'm, feedback that you want. Like, okay, age okay. age nine, I did this, blah blah blah, and so on. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, and I'll, I mean, yeah, I'll give sort of broader a broader scope. I'll paint it with a broader brush than, mm -hmm. uh, than I would um, if it weren't going public. Okay, so. I am originally from Southern Cal. I was born in Southern California, very, very Southern California. And my parents are interesting people. And I think that it had a very profound impact on how I turned out. They are quite conservative culturally, uh -huh. but politically they're the democrats they're they're more on the liberal scale and they grew up in the 50s and 60s so they come from a childhood that was really puritanical and very rigid in the sense of 1940s and 50s post world war 2 america and that quintessential dream of middle America. So my mom's family's from the East coast. My dad's family's from the West coast. And going back even a little bit further, we are probably third or fourth generation. I'm probably fourth generation American now. And my parents would be third they come from my dad's side of the family is uh, predominantly Dutch, mm -hmm. and my mom's side of the family is predominantly Welsh. So, 
basically very Anglo. <laughs> um, <laughs> and they come from very different backgrounds themselves. My mom grew up very poor. My dad grew up very, you, you know, upper middle class, I guess you could say. They met when they were very young. Well, my mom wasn't as young. She had already kind of been through some stuff. My mom was approaching 30. My dad was like 20. They got married after a couple of years. I was their first child together. And they went into business in construction and development. So that's what they've always done. Hmm. And that's been my background. As far as seeing what my parents do, it's been, it's been business. And specifically... It's been labor. Construct- yeah. Well, no, they're they're general co- they're they're general contractors. Uh-huh. So and developers. So my dad doesn't pick up a hammer or anything. I mean, he can, and he definitely gets his hands dirty, but he hires subcontractors for for you know to build out everything. So I guess I sort of understood the value of other people's talent and collaboration from an early age because I would go to work with my dad and his appreciation for even just a a skilled laborer was equal to a doctor. You know, he never, no one was more important or no one was, no one was uh, more essential to the community than anybody else. You know, the general laborer that actually does the physical pounding of the nails was just as important as the guy who pounds on your teeth. The dentist. So, was that something that he talked about, or was that just just the way he is? It just it just showed. It just came through. Mm. You didn't you didn't need to say it. I mean, he did say you know things along those lines, but mm. he, he didn't. He my dad's very much. A, he's not a, a huge talker, and he's not an incredibly emotional guy. He's very caring, but he doesn't really comes from that time in America where you, they just don't know how to show love. I mean, he could mm. say you know, I love you, but it was difficult even to this day and still getting a hug from him is kind of an awkward experience. It's, it's, I don't know, but that's just, you know, that's the way he is. My mom, uh, is a lot more affectionate in that way. So I grew up in this household that was extremely supportive of me creatively and anything I wanted to do. So my original plan when I was eight years old was I was really into sports and I was going to become a professional baseball player. That was the first, that was the first career I wanted. And I, on the side of being athletic, I was incredibly creative. I would, we lived in kind of a remote rural area in Southern California and I would go out and build these crazy elaborate forts in the rocks and mountains and desert out behind our house and i mean i consider that a um i consider that creativity uh-huh. you know i consider Absolutely. that because you're you are creating something uh-huh. and you know you're inventing it as you go or you're taking things from things you've seen on tv or whatever but but the whole idea is that you're out there and you are creating something from scratch. So I I definitely consider it, maybe not art, but it's definitely. Yeah, but it's still creation. It could be, you know, building something is also creating. uh, Exactly. 
So I am often fond of saying that my uh, initial introduction to art was Legos and Lincoln Logs. And I know I'm sure, obviously you know what Legos are because they're from sort of the from that side of the world. But <laughs> Denmark, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> is Denmark a Scandinavian country? It is, yeah. Okay, so that would be Finland, Denmark, Norway, Norway Sweden, Sweden. Any others included in that, in that? Nope, that's it. Okay. And Lincoln Logs, if you're not familiar with those, and for the listeners, Lincoln Logs were a toy in the 80s that you would get these little pieces of wood that had these notches in them mm. on each side, and they looked like little logs, and you could build, you know, 1900-era sports and cabins and things out of them. It yeah. was a very popular yeah. toy in the 80s, at least in America it was. <clears throat> And then GI Joes and things like that, and I would just get, I would just build these little worlds with my cars and with my little GI Joe guys, and I would have these epic wars, which is so funny to me now to think about the concept of playing war as a kid, and uh, that's a whole different topic, uh, the psychology of of that indoctrination of war mm -hmm. as a like, as a um, a glorified thing. Anyways. Uh, you know, I would, I'd have these whole worlds and my mom would tell me these stories, you know, years ago when I was, after I was full grown and couldn't remember this stuff, she would tell me things that I did that sort of in her eyes made me special or whatever. And I don't even remember half of them, but I do remember, you know, creating these elaborate worlds and these backstories to all these characters well, and storytelling in life. Yeah. Storytelling. Which is funny, and I'll go tangential here for a moment, but I never could figure out what I wanted to do for a long time. I didn't start doing street art until I was almost 30 years old. I mean, I did it, but like few and far between. It wasn't something that I took serious. It wasn't a form of activism or anything at that point. It was just uh, a juvenile thing to to basically vandalize or, you know, something like that. It wasn't, uh -huh. it didn't have a purpose. Um, but in the late nineties and early two thousands, I fell in love with street art, not so much graffiti at the time because I didn't grow up in a place where that was prevalent. So <clears throat> it was really the introduction to guys like Banksy Shepard Ferry, because obviously they were still the most visible at that time, to me anyways, and, uh. and there were many others, but everybody knows them, so I'll use them as an example. Uh. So I just saw the poignancy of what they were doing, and at that time, this is me like in my late teens, I was fighting very I was very much fighting internally with a lot of the discrepancies incongruencies hypocrisies double standards within our modern societies and trying to rect not rectify just trying to figure out how to quantify those I guess you could say mm. so their work spoke to me very much because the innuendos in them the the metaphors in them I guess we're, we're pretty obvious, but at the same time, very nuanced. And 
I just got it, you know, mm. and it really spoke to me. So I started taking an interest then, but I didn't at that time. I will, you know, I, I was just a kid and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, no, that's not true. I, I did know what I want to do. I fell very much in love with snowboarding years before that. And that was my main focus for many, many, many years until my mid twenties. Well, until my early twenties, I was, um, I snowboarded. That's what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I spent all of my time traveling and doing that and living in mountain towns and on an endless winter sort of thing. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to go back in time here for a minute cause I'm kind of getting ahead of the story. It's fine. You can jump as much as you want. Okay, great. So my parents were, like I said, they were incredibly conservative culturally. So I know, I don't know if you guys don't have the same movie rating system, but I'm just going to use this as an example. So in America, we have a rating system. It's G, which is the most kid-friendly movies, up to NC-17, which are basically borderline pornographic. Hmm. Uh, I can't even remember the last movie that came out, NC-17, but I think there was a movie years ago with Kevin Bacon and uh, a couple other people that was that was called Wild Things. I think it was NC-17. But anyways, the point is, when I was going- even till I was in my middle teens, I could not – my parents would not let me see a rated R movie. And it was the strangest thing to me because my mom has always been really into these really dark network television crime shows like uh, you know, all – there's one called like SVU or it's – I can't remember what – it's – um. It's like, and, and I don't even know, but it's one of these shows on TV where the whole, every episode is about like a rape murder. And it's mm. just, it's a 30 hour <laughs> marathon of crime and rape and, and yeah, they solve it, it at the end. But it's so funny because, well, it's not funny, but it, I found it so interesting because I'm like, you won't let me go see a radar movie and you say they're bad because she found the language to be too much for her. Mm-hmm. But Yet she could go in depth into these shows that physically or, and, and visually described and showed these horrible acts against humans. I'm like, I don't understand that. The mm. word fuck only has power because we give it power. It's just a word. Mm. And it doesn't, it's not, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me how the word fuck in public is not okay but everyone is completely okay with Mark Wahlberg being on a billboard holding a, a gun that is very similar to the type of gun that's used in school shootings. Uh-huh. And none of, this, none of this makes any sense to me even to this day. But to give you context, like that's the kind of thing I was dealing with. Did, so, that all, did all that come from from seeing those, you know, Banksy and Shepard and those doing that kind of art that that spoke with maybe double or triple meanings, or or, or was that just your teenage uh, philosophy coming oh, back? Oh, that, that, that hit me when I was like nine. Mm-hmm. I I was like, you won't let me see a radar movie, you know, that my fr- all my friends are watching it, mm-hmm. and you won't let me see it. But you're doing this. It does. It. it I, I could already tell the inconsistencies mm. with that, you know, I could already see where that was, where that was hypocritical over and it didn't make, uh, it didn't make very much sense to me. And 
I can't give too much away about my mom, but I can just say that. That's enough. That's enough. Well, I mean, I I just want to use something like, let's just say my mom definitely could use the hashtag me too from her early uh, adult life. And then she goes and watches all these shows. Psychologically, that's a fucking weird place to be where you're just constantly reliving your trauma every single day. I don't understand that, but whatever. So, my mom's incredibly supportive of me creatively, though. She would, I mean, really, like, she loved the fact that I was an artist and that I would do things creatively. She, you know, she never really liked the idea of me snowboarding because I, you know, I got injured mm-hmm. a lot and the injuries were, oh, skating, anything that, you know, got me injured, she was really not on board with, which was kind of depressing because I really, snowboarding is my first love. I am absolutely 100% through and through. A, you know a snowboard bro and it's just for me it's like the it's the only time that i'm truly free and at peace is when i'm on my snowboard mm. so the fact that they didn't embrace it the way that i wanted them to was really it just showed me that <clears throat> they're as much as they're you know progressive they're still very close-minded and they're very um or protective stuck. Yeah, well, yeah, that and they're but they're still very stuck in the standards of what life is supposed to be like. Go to school, go to regular school, go to university, go to college, get a degree, get it, you know, get a nine to five job. And that's the way my dad looks at the world. He's it's pretty simple for him. He is um, incredibly. I got all of my conservation efforts from him. He's incredibly tuned in. I mean, my dad would have bought an electric car in the early 90s if it had, if the opportunity had arisen, you know? I mean, as long as I can remember. I mean, this is how, this is just to give you a, an example, right? So we used to, we bought a motorhome when I was a kid and we would take trips around the country and we would, we would drive on these highways in, you know, across America and we would stop and for a couple of hours, almost every single day we were on the road we would pick up trash on the side of the road. Like that's the kind of dude my dad is Hmm. when he goes hiking, when he goes hiking, you know, there's that old adage pack, pack out what you pack in. Uh He packs everybody else's in as out as well. He's just, so I got all these really amazing, uh, ethical values and, and moral values from him. I was raised in the Catholic religion. I hated it every moment of it from the time I was six years old. My dad was a devout Catholic. It never made sense to me because my dad is an incredibly intelligent guy. I couldn't understand how a guy that has a subscription, one of five people in the world that has a subscription to Scientific American magazine, could also be a Christian. It just didn't add up to me. Um, yeah, he's, he's not anymore, but it didn't, his crisis of faith, I guess you could say didn't happen until a few years ago when my, when his dad, my grandfather, who is now in his nineties at the time was in his eighties, finally gave up the Catholic church and realized that he didn't really believe in God. Mm. And a few years later, my dad, I guess had the same epiphany or Mm. saw the light. And when you talk to him now, he's still very closed about it. And, and I, I think he desperately wants to believe in God, but it's just that the proof, like the, 
The overwhelming evidence. <laughs> and those scientific <laughs> magazines are showing themselves. Yeah. So all of the, the reason I'm giving all this information is to give context to sort of how I view the world, right? Yeah. So I was, I had all of these um, things that I noticed very early on. All this just for lack of a better way to describe it, call them discrepancies in culturally in America and and politically as well. And I didn't, I just, I couldn't understand how people just disregarded it or were willfully ignorant to it all. And now I get it because life is hard and there's already so much to deal with. And when you live in a capitalist society, money rules everything. And the system is built entirely rigged to keep the average person under a huge amount of debt. So you don't have time to think about all that other stuff. You don't have time to think of you. You're just trying to, all you have time to do is have enough, get enough money, money together to get a place to live and get food on the table for your family. So I get it now, but I still think we could do better. But I, I, I do understand that uh, people are just doing the best that they can out there or I like to hope. I hope to believe. I like to believe that that's the case. Uh, I think it is for a lot of people that that are living everyday lives any, anywhere in the world that they're, they're yeah, making exactly. ends meet all the time because the, that's what they know how to do and that's what they've seen others do and that's what you and I saw growing up as well. Our parents worked and they put food on the table and you know that was the thing that they had to do. They were not talking about traveling the world and making Instagram posts or, or even taking postcard pictures and sending them yeah. out. That's, but that, you know. that's interesting you say that because that leads me into the, the dichotomy of my youth, which was apparently I actually make the cut for being a millennial, which mm -hmm. really irritated me because there's no way I would consider myself in the millennial generation at all. And I, it just doesn't make any sense. When I think of a millennial, I think of someone in their mid twenties. That's, that's the cutoff point. Like if you were born in the nineties, uh -huh. you're brought, you're a millennial, but if you're born in the eighties, you weren't or below, you weren't a millennial. But apparently you, if you were born in the eighties, you're a millennial. Okay. So we were raised <clears throat> with this tradition on, in my family of you work for, what you, you know, you have to earn what you have. You're not going to be handed anything. I grew up middle class and I grew up what you could say upper middle class for a good portion. My parents did, they always owned their own business and with the economy, there were ups and downs. So they had to start over a few times and we went into the poverty zone a couple times, but my dad is mom are very clever and they would rise back up. So You know, we when well, I grew up in what most people would consider a mansion on an estate when I was uh, very young in Southern California, and then when I was around <clears throat> entering my teenage years, we moved to the Pacific Northwest of the United States and very close to the mountains and things, and they had to start over, and it was a struggle for a long time. And then they rebuilt another business and it was really successful. So, you know, next thing you know, we're living in what some people would consider a mansion type scenario again. Mm -hmm. 
American homes now, since I've traveled abroad extensively, I'm realizing almost every single American home to most people would be considered a mansion because we just have so much more space here yeah. than anywhere else. <clears throat> it's funny that the the woman I mentioned earlier brought something to my attention, which is going to go tangential here for a minute, but it may help people understand Americans a little bit better. Because uh, I, I, I'm presuming that your listenership is probably predominantly European, right? <laughs> I have no idea. We'll see. You know, yeah. Oh, is this the first episode? No, I'm. I've done a couple, but I'm releasing everything as a season base. So November oh, is going to come out okay. a bunch of them. Oh, terrific, terrific. Okay, so a lot of my physical gestures are very wide and spread out. I'm quite. Uh, not dramatic's not the right word, but just I, I can take up a lot of space with just my person, you know. Theatrical. <laughs> yeah, there you go, theatrical. Hmm. And she says, you know, I I I firmly believe that that's a product of how you grew up because you grew up in all these wide open spaces. You were never closed in. You never grew up in an environment where you kind of had to stay compact you know like a big city you have to like i mean you can see it when you go to when you go to a big city that's uh that's crowded and the streets are crowded let's say you know london or new york Mm. or paris or berlin you kind of have to stay really compact so that you're not bumping into people and you can get from point a to point b at a reasonable time and you and you move quickly you walk faster and if you're from the western if you're from the western part of the united states you saunter you i mean we move slow there's that whole thing you know like the the california surfer guy kind of thing where it's like laid back california it's true i mean we're spread out physically we got all this room and and we we literally move slower and i never kind of put that together but i think that outside of new york and chicago and maybe cleveland and some other larger sort of more compact american cities for the most part american cities are sprawl and they are everybody has room i mean even poor people have a house with a backyard that's the size of you know a football field i mean i'm being exaggerating but my point is 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 uh that that openness Actually, I think had a, uh, had a lot of impact on on me creatively because that allowance to expand uh. was something that gave me more of an adventurous mindset because I didn't have borders, I didn't have limitations. I mean, yeah, there's still fences and there's still things put in place to separate people, but. Maybe you just don't want to see the borders and you really don't care about them because they were never constraints before. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. That's, that's well said. So I kind of lost my train of thought here. We were, I was going on about my parents for a little while. Where were we at? I think we're somewhere, you know, getting closer to where we are today or a couple of years ago when I'm trying to keep this so that it uh, will round out and you'll get the, the sense of, of why I do what I do is oh. I, <clears throat> I'm 
I've been bisexual my whole life. I knew it from a very early age. I hid it from my family and from my friends because America is still incredibly conservative and I don't give a shit what anyone says. You go to middle America and you're gay, they'll call you a faggot hmm. and they'll mean it. So it's just, it's, you know, it's like people don't like to admit, oh, there's no racism in America anymore. Like, no, it's there. There's still a lot of homophobia, a lot of racism. It's there. You just live in a protected neighborhood now Correct. where ones like you, so you think it's gone, but it's not. It's the same in Sweden, so you don't have to, you know, think think otherwise. Okay, so that played a big role too because I was so I had so many demons and so much shame and so much. There's just so much negativity. You know, I was pissed. I was I was upset. It made me angry that that I was that way because I. I wasn't allowed. I w it wasn't allowed. I wasn't allowed to do it. I wasn't allowed to be that. So I had to keep it stuffed down. I mean, it was a secret. A long time for a long time, it was a secret that I was going to take to the grave, mm -hmm. and I just didn't. I don't even know why. Now that I'm out and open about it, like it's not even a thing. But um, I just was so scared of it, and and I really resent. I had a lot of resentment for a long time for Americans and for American culture for specifically all of the hate discrimination that we have to deal with like that, like homophobia and racism and other things. And that, that was probably the biggest factor in why, in what shaped the direction of me creatively in the end was the fact that I wasn't able to just be who I was and that it really fucked me up in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict and I, well, I should preface that by saying I've been in, I've been in and out of recovery over the years and I've struggled with alcoholism and addiction my whole life. And I think one of the biggest factors was the, level of shame and guilt that was associated with this big secret about myself that wasn't harming anyone. So I wanted to, you want to I get, want, get it out somehow and you wanted to express yeah, it. I, by, I, wanted to, I wanted to say, fuck you mm. to everyone. I, and I wanted to do it in a big way. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, say, take a look at this, you know, like, let's look at these things. So, but I didn't know how to do it at the time, but I just knew I had this, there was this activist going up inside of me in my teenage years. But I was so, you know, in my addiction, in my disease, that all I did was party. And I got, I got good grades. Um, I never had a problem struggling there. Like we got good genes in the intelligence department. I mean, I don't know, maybe not, but I feel like I think I feel, you do. Yeah. So it was the weirdest thing though is that I just I couldn't I I was I couldn't tell my parents this huge thing about myself. This massive thing and I couldn't tell them. And when I finally did when I was like 30 years old, they 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 were fine with it. You know, it was absolutely fine. I mean, my cousin who's who's a lesbian came out years and years before that 
And, you know, it was like, it was fine. I mean, some of the older generations that grew up in the 30s and 40s kind of mumbled some stuff about it, but we would just basically tell them to shut up or you can't say that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know, so whatever. Uh, but there was still something that, that was eating you that you couldn't talk about. And, and the way you, yeah, you tried that, to get it out was through art and through... Well, not at the time. The way, I, uh -huh. the way I used to get it out was very unproductive. I fought. I got into a lot of fights. Uh -huh. I, was, um, I started a lot of fights. Yeah, I basically just got in a lot of fights for, for many, many years of drinking and using drugs. I just start... I just had so much anger, so much anger and frustration. Um, but then there's, an, there's, a, there's also a positive side to the way I was raised. The way that my parents loved me, I always knew I was totally 100% supported, whether it was um, you know, monetarily when they had it, they were able to, or I knew that they loved me. They, they, my mom could say it was very showing of it. My dad... I knew it because of the things he did. He wasn't, it wasn't as easy for him to say, I love you, but he, he showed it in other ways. And I value that they, my dad was very outdoorsy and he showed us the, he showed us the world outside of, you know, urban America. And I'm very grateful for that. And it gave me an appreciation for the planet that we live on in a way that I feel like a lot of people don't have because of the disconnection of the modern world where 90% I'm, I don't know the exact figures, but the majority of people now live in urban environments and, um, you know, that disconnects you from the world. It's the same way that, uh, chicken nugget disconnects you from that being an actual ground up chicken. It's people don't know where, what anything is or where it came from or what it's about. And I, I think, uh, that's a shame. So is, I, is that something that because that's a lot of uh, the stuff that I see in your work is, is the explanation of don't you see that there's a clear line here from A to Z and you're not just looking at this thin red line and here's me outlining it for you. Yeah, it's it's everybody's going. I just feel like we all go around with whether it's willfully or un or ignorance. We go around with blinders on, you know, like horse blinders and. All I'm trying to do is strip those blinders away and give people the opportunity to maybe think about something they previously had, hadn't because so many people along the way did that for me. I'll give you an example and it was kind of a turning point in my wokeness i guess you could say was i was in high school and my sister's a couple one of my sisters a couple years younger than me and i used you know me and all my friends we grew up you know calling each other faggot and everyone was a faggot and everyone's gay like that was just what we said we were kids we didn't me i mean at that time where i grew up yes it was like not understood and i guess you could say that when you called someone a faggot you meant it as like being gay is wrong because we were stupid and ignorant. Yeah, I but think there were those two, both both of them. Because when you were a kid, you you say stuff that sounds cool as well, and you you try to be yeah, cool. It, so yeah, it's not it always was, hurtful. No, and and but it was always a weird thing for me because I had this secret, you know, of me being uh -huh. bisexual and being attracted to to men that um, 
By the way, I uh, I am a dude. So for anyone that's confused <laughs> about that, I am a dude. Does it really uh, matter? <laughs> no, I mean it, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But well, I mean it matters in context for this conversation, of yeah, course. But of course, <clears throat> no, it doesn't matter whether I'm a girl or, or a boy. But just for context, mm. so I because I you know after the selfie wall thing, there was uh, a report came out on one of the news articles that. I was that the neighborhood thought I was a a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just uh, I just uh, checked out that news when I was researching a bit. I, I think that's you know for for me that would be amazing. I was like, okay, that's a clear card for me to go and do more. Kind <laughs> of think I'm a girl, so I'll just I'll put on a wig and I'll do some stuff more as a girl because it really well, doesn't matter. To, yeah, I used to do a lot of work. Well, I guess I'll get into that later, but I'll just yep. give you this. I used to do a lot of work in the early years, many, many years ago, that, and I would post on social media in a way that was um, very confusing, and I tried to spin it like I was multiple people, or that I was a girl, you know, that I was a woman, or that I, what, am I a woman, am I a man? I, I just didn't, I love the idea of people not, of just creating no, again, no, no borders, no lines, no fences. Like it could yeah. be anything, anyone. And there's, and no one can say it can't be. Mm. So I, I like, and that's, that's kind of why I've remained anonymous for such a long time. Uh, I'll keep, I'll kind of finish out my youth here. So yeah. along with the, going back to the, the millennial thing, right? So this entire generation of kids, was raised in, at least in the U.S. I, I can't. I'm, I don't want to speak for any other countries right now, so I'm just going to speak for the U.S. But we were all raised by these parents that were complete, that were puritanical and very old-fashioned in their cultural values. You know, not, I mean, things like you don't show. You know, they never would allow you to show much skin going out if you were a girl. You couldn't show barely any skin going out. I mean, this is the '80s, uh, but. Uh. This was still, even though we had the 60s revolution, most of America was still really, really conservative and very, very, even if they weren't Christian, their value system was based in Christianity. Uh -huh. So these things like, you know, you don't show any skin, no public displays of affection, blah, 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 blah. All of these things, uh, our parents were ingrained and they were slammed in their head. And then they had this generation who post the 60s, after that, was raised in a, a little bit more freer youth environment where I my parents were very uh, progressive in that you know when I when I got my license when I was sixteen I could travel and I could drive and I could travel to different states and and that was a kind of a huge thing because I was a kid behind the wheel on the freeway in the middle of nowhere on my own completely on my own at sixteen years old so. That and that, that's one way I guess they were very, very progressive was that they allowed me to they allowed me the freedom in that way to make my own choices and to learn from my own endeavors and my own mistakes. And I really appreciate that because it it just shows that you can teach an old dog new tricks. Like with my mom, she was so resident. Uh, a res what's the word anyway she just was very apprehensive about letting me do that um to travel to go snowboarding on my own and 
I'm, I'm not talking about like with a group of friends. I'm talking about I'm, I'm driving to meet people that live in a different place, but I'm actually physically driving uh-huh. across the country at 16 years old by myself. That's a scary thing for a mom to let their son do, especially at that age. Absolutely. Uh, you said, you know, there's all this stuff where I was just like, okay, I can do this and you're cool with that, but, but I can't go see a fucking rated R movie. Like what uh-huh. the fuck is happening here? Um, and it's rated R because <laughs> it's rated R because there's some tits and they say, fuck, it's not, you know, like, and that's bad. I don't understand it. Uh-huh. So, uh, this entire generation of millennials was told constantly that we could be anything we wanted to be. What they forgot to tell us was that you have to work your fucking ass off night and day to do that. So all of the shit, which is what, you know, why everyone bitches about millennials now because they don't want to work for anything. Well, we handed, we coddled it all. They, the millennial generation was coddled and they were told that they were the greatest things in the universe uh-huh. and that every one of them was completely unique and special. And it was the rise of, Post the 60s, you saw the rise of individualism, Hmm. whereas before it was much more about community and it was about looking out for each other and taking care of each other. And yes, when you live in a capitalist society, it is a dog eat dog world where it still is that mentality of, well, I got it for myself. You need to buck up and get it for yourself, you know, Hmm. pull the bootstraps up. But people looked out for each other. They did. And you could see it. And post the 60s, that fell apart and it gave rise to this new breed of human being where we're all going to be president of the United States of America and we're all the most important thing in the entire fucking universe. And I, I really feel like that was a disservice that was done to us because it's a double-edged sword though for me because the fact that I was told that is why I'm where I'm at today and why I'm doing the thing that I'm doing Uh because I felt free enough to do it. But at the same time, it's, it doesn't come with the reality that it needs to come with, which is that you have to work relentlessly and Uh for a very long time to get that stuff. So if you're not prepared to do that, then that, it doesn't mean anything. It's it's just it's just flat, hollow words that uh-huh. are being put out there to make people feel good about themselves. And I'm not down with anything like that. That's why I can't get down with Christianity because I can't get down with this idea that everything's shitty or everything's good because an invisible man in the clouds in outer space deems it so. Uh-huh. That's just – it's asinine. And it's completely backwards – to human beings carrying on as a species it's com- it's just that's just apathy uh-huh. so i kind of wish that they wouldn't have told us that but <laughs> that also came with restraints too right yeah. I, mean, I often found it really funny because here it was my parents were not very supportive of my snowboard career and I'm sitting here going, you told me I could be anything I wanted to be in my life. You've said that my entire life. The TV told me that. My teachers told me that. The president of the United States told me that. And now I'm trying to do something that is outside the parameters of convention. And you're telling me, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, well, what we really meant was Uh you can be anything you want, but it's fenced in. You have to do it within these conventional parameters. 
And that's bullshit. And I think that that is the most ridiculous thing to do to an entire generation of people is tell them they could be anything they want and then go, oh, wait, what we really meant was, uh-huh. yeah, but you have to go to college to do it. <laughs> or you have to like, yeah, you have to, it's got to fit within the boundaries of conventional society. Yeah. And that was, that was bullshit to me, which is. It is. Show- it is bullshit, and, and you know, I think there's. You think musicians should probably have the same feeling about that kind of thing? I think everybody has the same. I mean, they they were screwed as well. My my parents are. I'm 45, and I was born in the 70s, so I grew up with a sense of, of course, you can do anything, but you'll have to work at this office, blah blah blah, or as a um, whatever in this industry to to get to a certain point that you can earn this much money and then you can start living your life because you have to think about your pension and <laughs> exactly. so on. so there yeah, was yeah. always this constraint but but when they grew up they nobody told them that they could be anything they couldn't be shit you just shut the fuck up go to work yeah. because this is work you're not a kid anymore you're 15 i don't care if you're crying get a fucking job because we have no money today so that's yeah. where they came yeah. from and so they try to leverage bit and they try to learn but but i i get the thing that you're saying that you feel kind of duped when when somebody's that you have a good upbringing you have money and you have food on the table and they're basically saying well, well you can do stuff you can do whatever you want to but they don't give you that you know the the stamp of approval and saying you know is this fucking going to hurt for you, as it did for me, because that's just the way things work. I mean, you can try to be yeah. whatever, but it's going to be fucking immense of time and, and pressure and, and a lot of work to get there. Uh, and I nobody told me how much time it takes to learn to, to play the guitar or play the bass. I learned yeah. it the hard way. It's 10,000 fucking hours you have to put in there to be decent. And from that you go on, okay? Yeah, and from, and that's like the starting point. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. That's that's it's too true. That although I I am very grateful to my upbringing because, like I said earlier, it was established very early on that you have to work for what you get. So. Yeah, but you you grew up with two parents who had their own businesses and they had to work for every nickel and dime to put you exactly. through school and so on and so on and so on. Yeah, my mom made it a point every single day to tell me how privileged I was because she grew up dirt poor mm-hmm. and had to walk uphill to school both ways in the snow <laughs> year round, um, right. you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And she- point but you know I'm, I'm glad that as much as it was annoying and i wrote it off when i was in my youth i i i understand now why she did that because uh-huh. she was trying to say that life is really difficult and if you aren't prepared for it it's going to even tougher <laughs> yeah or it might break you uh-huh. you know it might, it might it might break you uh i guess that yeah that kind of I don't know. I, I feel like we've we've been on my youth for an hour, so I'm kind of yeah, little spent on it. But yeah. I know we didn't all the way up to current time. I can fill in some gaps, but I, I think people kind of get the bit of idea. Yeah, I think I think we should move on to to where where we're at currently. I, I, yeah, you know, let, let's 
go right to today with the with the pink wall and and the idea for for that oh, in, man in, that's a big transition <laughs> i know i know and i like to do those things because i want to flip your brain for a bit because it, it gives yeah, you, you some breathing room uh because when i think of a thing like a project for for uh, doing a pink wall I, i it's been a landmark and everybody's been taking their instagrams there for a while now and and people love it and so on there must be some kind of mental state to consider that as a project and also to see a timeline where is it fitting in my timeline but also in the timeline of society to do this kind of uh, uh, operation because it's it, you know it's gonna sting you know it's gonna be effective and you know you're gonna get a lot of credit for in both in bad and good media so in in my head there's two things to talk about there One is the creative side from your perspective, and the other side is like, okay, this is also a business decision. So, can you see those two in 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 that? Or yeah, I yeah, but th this is going to be an interesting conversation because a lot of what you just said was not on my was not in my on even on my radar screen for. For that, I'll, I'll just kind of tell you how that how, how that unfolded and why I did it, mm -hmm. and then I'll kind of go into a little bit about the sort of media reaction to it. So, <clears throat> um, you've only followed along for a, for a few months, but it's really funny to me because I've been doing the okay. Let me start with this, right? I, I'll start with this. I do things. Where part of what I'm doing is the act of me doing it. So the scale, literally the physical scale of, of the things that I do is part of the message. Hmm. Because for one, it goes back to that whole thing of being told I could do anything and be anything I wanted to be and be the best at what you do and, and you know, rise up and be, uh, you know, be the greatest kind of things. Like I grew up in the Michael Jordan generation. Hmm. We're just all told to to be like mike literally uh -huh. and be best you know so um or be just bigger than life and i think that there's a lot of interesting dichotomies about going and doing things that for one have this size element this physical just just the presence that they do physically and also With specifically with the that extinguisher artwork, that that spray artwork that I do, there's there's a couple things about it. Uh -huh. um, for one, I love one aspect of that is there's an element of of uncontrollability of chaos to using a tool like that that keeps it in this raw, real um, what keeps it in this raw reality that you just can't fake you can't it's because it's control it, but it's uncontrolled at the same time yeah yeah, so, yeah you can get so much control over it but at the same time you know things are gonna happen and it's gonna come out in a way that just has this um what some people would consider really ugly aesthetic but i actually hold on a second <clears throat> Um, okay, so where were we? Okay, the the big spray, yeah. the, the the big trying spray to control stuff. that. Yeah, 
So when 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 most people see it, they they're gonna see the size element, and they and it's just gonna have the wow factor, and it's gonna hit right. Which is what you have to do a lot of times in at least. Again, I can't speak for every country here, but I know that in the U.S., if you want to get people's attention nowadays, you have to do things that get people's attention. Mm-hmm. And the the chaos of something like that, uh, of the way that those letters look and the scale of it, it gets people's attention because it's it's un, it's unavoidable. You can't your your eye is going to be drawn to it because it's. Um, it is what's the word i'm using it's uh, what's the thing i wanted to say i don't know it's so big it's blindfolding this unpredictable it's yeah. unpredictable yeah and that i know will get people's attention even if they hate it or even if they if it's just for a split second because everyone drives in the car here hmm. that element of doing that kind of stuff will capture the audience. So that's always factored into it for me. But the funny thing to me about it is that I've been doing those big extinguisher pieces like that for years, for years. Mm -hmm. And I've done them on very, everything I've ever done has been for effect because if I'm out there and I'm going to be doing it and I'm trying to get people's attention, I'm going to do it for effect. So I hit very, very high profile locations for the most part. Mm -hmm. I hit places, I, I do work, I do pieces on in locations to maximize visibility. And that is because I want, I'm out there doing it. Why, why would I do street art if I just wanted to go tuck it into a corner behind a dumpster somewhere in an alley? You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. that's not, street art is activism and activism, you need fucking people's attention. <laughs> you need people to see it. So why would I hide it? Um, and in, a, in, in the world that the world that I see right now, it's very bang you over the head. And I think Donald Trump is a uh, is a is a symptom of that. Where here you have this guy who's everything, every single thing that he says is just like it just is bang you over the head sentiments. Uh-huh. And sometimes with art, if you want to get people's attention, you got to bang them over the head. Absolutely. So, Banksy's art is bang you over is referred to as bang you over the head art. I heard it referred to as that uh, the other day, and I I laughed at myself. I was like, "Hey, that's what I say about my stuff." Uh-huh. Not to compare myself to him, but just to say that some people look at it as being very obvious uh-huh. or you know irrelevant. So so relevant that it's irrelevant. Yeah, but if you're competing to nine million Instagram posts every day, you have to do scale. And you have well, to be pinpointed at the right time and uh, in the timeline of yeah, and and there's other elements too. You know, there's so Instagram and social media has just changed art in a way that. Well, I predicted a lot of it when talking. I remember telling people certain things that now are the are the norm, uh, which is just so funny. But I'll get into that later. Um, but you. <sighs> When I approach life, I always want to approach a life in a, in a progressive, innovative way, right? So I saw this gap that I could fill. And, you know, writing things on walls is as old as humanity. Uh-huh. But 
when you add an extinguisher to it or you add the tool that I'm using to it and you do it like that, that's a new innovative progressive way to do it that's going to that's going to reinvigorate it and get people's attention. So I love the idea of developing that style of artwork because I always loved it. See, I love seeing that stuff. Even the even the stuff I see that looks like that that you see on the side of the road or on a building, you know, when you when you go to a graffitied up area and you see that stuff and you can't even read what the letters say, uh-huh. I love it. Because there's just this rebellious element to it that you can't get with any other form of graffiti where it's just – it's such a big F you to society. And I love that. I absolutely – I think that is – it's it, – to me, that form of art is the um, Lenny Bruce – are you familiar with Lenny Bruce? Absolutely. Okay. It's the Lenny Bruce – way of approaching stuff of our time mm. for me that's how i look at it he's a big influence for me um so that part's about like the i i won't get into the mechanical aspects of doing something like that just to say that um well before we go on what were you gonna say i i cut you off no no I, what i was thinking is that in the arts and in the places that you choose to to do your stuff uh, and especially the billboarding i i see the humor in that i i'm not sure that everybody does so it, it's interesting to see where where you get your comedic influences from and lenny bruce is is a pretty good fuck you yeah i mean I, my dad was a huge fan of george carlin as well yeah, i grew that. up oh okay i grew up reading George Carlin book like my dad would that was the one area where I could get away with the sort of rated R stuff in life is I could sit down and watch a George Carlin special with my dad even though George Carlin uses the word fuck my mom doesn't like him at all she thinks he's crass and whatever but Mm. I could watch George Carlin so yeah my my comedic influences or, or even a lot of my politics come from guys like Lewis Black comedians a lot of a lot of my influences don't actually come from visual art. They come from comedians and, and music, musicians, um, and, and places like that. So, you know, Louis Black, George Carlin, Lenny Bruce. Um, uh, there's others, but I'll just leave it those three for now. Um, they, yeah, they were such a huge influence that when I approach – comedy in my art i try to nuance it in a way i know not everybody's gonna get it you know what i mean and i know that it i know that not not everything i do is gonna have a commercial sensibility in that way um but that's the same with every because people look at the go fuck your selfie as this really just like obvious statement is the best way to put it mm-hmm. and and i'm like yeah it's obvious but at the same time it's incredibly relevant and it is a little bit bang you over the head style stuff but when you're trying to catch an audience you sometimes have to do that and to be honest when i get really raw and emotional about stuff i get really basic in that way you know it's like it's just like i can't tolerate it and i just am like go fuck yourself like mm-hmm. you're not that important so you know 
I, it's funny because to me, I look at a piece like that and I'm like, that piece is really has a lot of nuances to it, but it's not the way that you present it, the way that I present it, those nuances, unless you're really, really, uh, no, okay. Unless you're an intellectual and you're intelligent, you can't see the nuances. All you see is the obvious statement. You don't see that the act is the message. You don't see that the scale of it is where a lot of the value comes from, the mm. physical scale of it. You don't see that just me doing it is the, one of the nuanced aspects about it. Mm. Taking that move, being that, I don't want to say bold, but for lack of a better way to describe it, doing something bold like that. But it is I mean, bold. It, I mean, bold. if you look, if you talk That's about bold. the place more for, for, for where that piece is, I mean, it is the biggest Instagram wall there is in the States that I know of. And I'm from a shitty little town called Gothenburg in Sweden, and I know about the wall because I use well, Instagram. So yeah, I mean, we'll it's a it's a big that. statement to 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 use. It's a, it's the greatest canvas that you can use as a street artist to to say whatever you want to. I mean, if you would put if you would paint the same banana that Andy Warhol uses on that picture, it would still be a fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can't wait to get into to, to all that in a minute because um, I was I, I was a little bit ignorant of a lot of what you just said. Not not I don't know. I'll describe it in a second. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's where the motivation behind it comes from is just that this is what I do. You know, that, well, I, I I found my place. I feel like that I've found where I fit in the world is to call bullshit mm. on a lot of things. And so do it creatively and do, do it in a, yeah, in a, in a major scale and, and doing and, it in places where people might not find it. Exactly. And do it in a way that no one has ever done it before. Mm. And I'm not saying no one's ever used an extinguisher. They obviously have. No, no, but tools, we all use tools. I use the guitar. Fucking there's billions, gazillions of people playing guitar doesn't yeah, take exactly. away my creativity from it yeah which that's really funny you say that because i always get um comments about oh you just want to be banksy and it's like dude that's like saying that everybody who's ever made music is a, or ever made rock and roll is a is a wannabe elvis mm -hmm. like you can't like it, it's just the most asinine thing to say. It's like, okay, so basically yep. every single every single musician that's come after Elvis that's made rock and roll, mm. you're saying that they're all just copying Elvis, and that's just simply not true. It's just it's such no, a it's, it's ignorance, it's, and and it's always some kind of uh, selfishness that they're not getting the attention that you might get from doing that thing. So yeah, and you know I, I'm not gonna lie, like. When I started taking street art seriously, I did it for two reasons. One, I was desperately trying to seek out a way to be an activist, but I was never ever going to be the guy on the picket line with um, a protest sign. It just wasn't, it's just not me. So I found a way, I'm a little bit more of a lone wolf in, in that regard, and I found a way that I could be an activist and I could talk about issues. Uh -huh. And I could do it in a way that felt comfortable for me. And street art, rep street art was that mechanism for that. Mm. Um, so that's that's the way you know that I approach it. <clears throat> and I look at that piece, 
that piece is strictly it's funny because for me that that piece literally has no there's no personal value for me in that piece that piece is a straight up activist activist piece that piece is an act of protest and it's gone and, yeah but street art doesn't last uh anyways hmm. i mean the kind of street art i do for the most part doesn't last so no but that's also the point i think in doing that kind of piece because i mean if that was let's say it was a banksy artist do he does that do you think that would last because he signed it banksy would that oh, statement yeah. be okay yeah, they would have been. They would have been. Yeah, it would have would have went down completely different. It Correct. did make some. It did make uh, some international news. I, I saw some articles from France and from. Uh, I saw an article from Hong Kong and I saw an article from Japan. I mean, mm. it, it did make international news, which was insane. But um, if he had done it, it, it would have made everything. You know what I mean? Like it just would have yeah. been the biggest. Would have the been the biggest news of the day. They shut down the street. They would, you know, bring out the fax machines and start hammering yeah, out the message. There would have been a, there would have been a parade. Yeah. Uh, and and Paul Smith would definitely have left it up. He's still and, gonna make money from this, but he would have made so much more money from that. Yeah, and it would have raised the property value Correct. by a million dollars. Mm. So, so yeah, it's totally, it's completely different uh, when you're not, you know, when you're not Banksy. Yeah, but at, uh, this, at the same time, sure. d doing a, uh, a thing like that uh, at a strategical location like that, even if you are nobody, it's going to be value for anybody in that area, in the vicinity of the area, because the media is so in tune to that place. You you did it because you want, you want to do your thing there, and I think that's a good thing. But, you know, tomorrow there might be another artist doing that. He's not going to get the same message out there because it's going to be, you know, people don't want to see that again. So it's it, they're not going to bring that into attention like, in, you know, whatever piece that it's coming out on a museum, that's that's going to get more attention. But what I want to go back to is the, the strategical thinking of, when to do a piece and when to convey the message because we are all tired of selfies right now but you you made this statement now you could have wrote written wish you were here you could have written you know any of the other things that you've been working on for some time too but you chose to use that because it needs to be refreshed so to speak never really done one of those i've done the lots of extinguisher pieces but i've never done those type of extinguisher pieces in that series which i count i have a lot of writings that i that i write and i write them infrequently or frequently on on walls and in that series is a few but the big ones that i write are you are not famous you are not a public figure and the newest one to that series is Go Fuck Your Selfie. I've done a lot of work on the selfie issue, but I've never written that. And uh, uh. so I started a few years ago by writing You Are Not Famous all over L.A. really big. And I did it a few times. And then I rolled out You Are Not a Public Figure. Uh, another one was at, at Runyon Canyon. Everybody, that's a very big selfie spot as well. And it's a very big, like, Instagram influencer media 
posting spot. So I wrote, you are not a brand. You are not your Instagram. Like just stuff like that. Uh, so this was kind of the, uh, the, I guess the most culturally relevant piece that I've done in that, in that space. And okay. So I get into this, into the, into that specific spot. So I've been wanting to do that piece there for a couple of years now, but I have so many ideas and my brain is constantly going and constantly creating new projects and new ideas that I, sometimes it takes a couple years for me to get to something that I've wanted to do. For instance, I'll give you an example, the clone, my signature piece, right? Mm -hmm. I thought of doing that piece back in 2000 or 2007 like basically when the iphone first rolled out because i had already living in la been exposed to cell phone obsession and we're talking about going back to the days of the sidekick which was sort of the original um iphone the sidekick was this phone that was put out i can't remember by what company but it was a uh, had you know, had it didn't have a touchscreen, but it had a screen, and it had a keyboard, and you could access the internet. It was kind of the first real all-encompassing smartphone. Uh-huh. Um, I, I don't know if you guys had it over there, but it was huge here. It was like uh, the- Nokia did one example of it, but I think that you know, in the states, the T-Mobile was one of those, and uh, they used—I don't remember which brand, but. But smartphones essentially been around for long enough for it to already have become something that was ridiculous. Not selfies, but just the constant, the constant use and the constant obsession with cell phones. I remember going out with friends, and this is in the days when Blackberries were really big, and we'd be sitting around at a, at a table, <clears throat> supposedly hanging out, you know, seven or eight people at a table, and I'm looking around the table. All my friends are on their phone with their head down on their phones. And that's when I came that's when I came up with the idea for the piece. I thought it would be really funny to do a stencil of, you know, people just obsessing over their phone. And so that piece but I didn't do it then. It took me a couple almost two or three more years to actually finally get that piece out. And the only reason I got it out then was because I realized if I don't do it now, someone else is going to do it, and then I won't. <laughs> and then I'll just be a copycat of the sort of cell phone art. You know what I mean? So I was like, I got to get that out there. So that's when I started doing it. And I didn't mean for that specific piece to sort of become my logo or whatever you want to call it. But I, I really wanted to. I wanted to put it everywhere because I just saw the relevance in it and the humor in people finding it on the ground as they're looking at their phone. So I just started putting it everywhere and then it kind of just became the piece. At the same time I was doing that, I was also doing another piece, which actually is more relevant today than it was back then in 2010 and 11, which is this um, sort of Grecian statuesque image of Mark Zuckerberg's face sort of, <laughs> just a stencil of space and then just the words I own you mm. and it's funny because I stopped doing it around 2014 and I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna pick it back up again because it's more relevant now than it yeah, ever has exactly that's uh, stale so that's an, an idea of like sometimes it takes me a while to get on to things so I mm. I finally was like you know what uh I'm gonna I'm gonna get this done in the next month I want to do this and logistically 
I've been putting street art in the Melrose area for almost a decade. So I know the landscape of that place very well. I know what it's like at night. I know the heartbeat of, of the, of it at night. You know, I mm. know, I know how traffic, I know the traffic patterns, uh, mm. during certain hours. I know the jogging patterns of, um, possible good Samaritan crime busters. I know, I know everything about it. So I already had all that worked out. The only thing about it was that I knew that I knew, well, those extinguisher pieces go pretty fast. They don't take a lot of time. So, you know, it only took me probably 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes. It probably took me five minutes to actually paint it. No joke. Uh Um, Because, you know, I, I, that, the the device I use has a hand pump, like a bike pump. Uh You pump it up and then that get, you can spray about five or six letters and then you pump it up again then you can spray five or six more letters so i you know it, it's it's relatively quick and mm. uh, which is one thing i really like about those pieces because you can go so big very very quickly mm. so it makes it a great tool for doing what i do because i can be in and out very very fast mm. but the the other side of that is you know i there's still so much elements of out of my control. For instance, giving an example on that piece, someone actually was sitting in a car on the road and filmed the whole thing and sent it to the news. And it was, it ran on the news the second night in a row. There's video footage on KTLA channel seven of them running a clip and there's me blasting away with that thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I mean that, that's interesting because that just shows that kind of adds to the piece in a relevance way to just show how prevalent, you know, this, this whole social media, um, obsession with, yeah. uh, online, our online avatars is, is that you, you know, it's just, it's everywhere at all times of the day. Yeah. And that guy who filmed that, it probably got a couple of bucks for, for turning in that film. I mean. Yeah, maybe, I, I don't know. So, you know, and then at the, even even though it's quick, there still is the element if if you know if the authorities roll by in the middle of that, there's still you know it's still going to be you know like I'm in the middle of it. So yeah. there's ways that you know there's it's it is what it is, I guess you could say. And, and I mean there's there there is a massive element of um, of anxiety that goes along with doing something like that because you are so exposed mm. with a, mm. with something like that. Cause that wall is very visible, yeah. not for blocks yeah. and blocks, but it's very visible. It's lit up at night as you can see in the video. So, you know, it's, it's going to draw the attention of passerbys, mm. I guess you could say. Uh, but here is something really interesting about that. I knew, obviously I know that that wall is the selfie wall because there's always people taking selfies in front of it. And I've always, it's always just irritated me. And I just think it's a nuisance for the neighborhood. And I just think it's, it just, what that wall represents to me. And and this has nothing to do with Paul Smith. They couldn't have predicted it. It represents just a complete lack of self-awareness and, and a, and a total, obsession with narcissism it, it just represents obsession of self that 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 social media has created and 
I personally think that is a really bad thing. So, but what I didn't yeah. know, and I truly honestly swear to God, I had no idea that that wall was as big of a deal, let's say, as it, as it, as it is. I didn't know that. I just knew it as the wall that everyone takes a selfie in front of it. Mm. I didn't think of it as a cultural relevant tourist point. I didn't think of it in those terms. I just saw an opportunity to use a spot where everyone takes stupid selfies mm. and put it right there because that's where they do it. I didn't know that that wall was this just epicenter of, of selfiedom. I, I really didn't know that because, you know, but that honest, makes it even more fun. I think because yeah. there, there's I, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, but there, there's, um, as for you as an artist, there, there's also learning in that. I mean, you, you talked about doing and thought about doing it because you were a bit pissed and you want to get a, a message out at the same time doing your art. So, but but not reading up on the whole shebang of things and all the complication it might bring. It, it's it's the punk rock that needs to be in art for it to be made. Otherwise, it's gonna be a smaller piece or a stencil paint or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that punk rock thing because I'm. I grew up listening to punk rock. I very much have that mentality still ingrained in me. And I look at what I do as sort of, and people can think I'm conceited or whatever, but I kind of consider myself at this point one of the last holdouts of that aspect of street art. It's very much gone the way of people using street art to simply monetize their art form mm. to sort of create this pseudo celebrity status online. It has very little to do with activism anymore. There aren't very many artists doing it. No, in that I think it's run its course and that's also natural because no, no, it, it hasn't though, man, that's the thing. It hasn't like, The only reason it's run its course is because we are heading in a very, very wrong direction as a global society. And uh, uh, yeah, but I, I think uh, what mentality, I, if you lose that, like I just I see very bad things if you lose the punk rock mentality. Yeah, I, I'm not thinking about that. What I was thinking about that there are a lot of street artists and I and they're doing it a faster, maybe efficient, smarter way. They're using stencils and so on. It's more oh. it's more controlled that they're doing a lot of prep work at home and then they go out to do the piece really fast and put it up yeah. uh, maybe on paper and so. On. But that's the same thing that happened with you know Renaissance artists as well. They they became so many. Not all of them were brilliant and good, but they became a lot of them, and a lot of them painted. So the market gets saturated with a lot of artists and paintings and so on. So, of course, there's going to be a progression and, and, and um, a flood in the market with those kind of... It's going to go mainstream. Eventually, yeah. everything does, and, and that's fine, too, because that, in that, the things go... You know, uh, mainstream. That means that somebody's going to have to use their creativity to punch it up a couple of notches. Exactly. That that allows that creates a space for progression and innovation uh, that wasn't formerly there. And I'm all down with you know the commercialization of street art. I don't. My. I mean, I think there's drawbacks to it, but 
what it does allow is for a lot of people to branch out and essentially live that whole thing we talked about earlier, which is you can be anything you want to be because it creates a space for money to be made off of it. And we do live in a capitalist world and money rules everything. So yeah, as long as you want to pay a rent and get some food on the table and you don't want to steal it. Well, you have to sell or do something for that. Exactly. And I want to make art all the time. So I obviously want to make money off of it because if I can make money off of it, then I can do more of it. And that's just the way it is, you know? So I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. What I don't like about the commercialization of street art and graffiti is that it's created a self-absorbed, self-obsessed, watered down uh, culture where you you now have most of these big artists. No, I can't say that. I'll just say <laughs> this. A lot of what I see in the mural culture in in society now is purely aimed at at it being something that is palatable for every single person in the world, mm. and that is a horrible state of affairs because what it does is it just traps people in this zone where, okay, cool. I'm an artist, but I can only make art that's going to appeal to everyone so that I can get paid to do it. Uh And that sucks. That's really a really terrible spot to be. Um, you know, the road, I, the road that I'm taking as far as as monetizing what I do as an artist or making a living off of it is a much, 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 much longer road than what a lot of these other artists are doing because I don't pander. I do exactly what I want. I do it in the way that I want, but I, but I'm also out for longevity. And I know that a lot of the saturated market won't be there in a couple of years when the street art bubble pops. Mm. These guys that are getting, you know, I mean, I I could name a handful of artists right now that absolutely make me want to vomit because they've never participated in illegal street art. They have zero credibility and they're getting, but they're raping, I don't want to use art, they are <laughs> opportunistically cashing in on the street art aesthetic by making mm. all this art that the general public views as what street art is supposed to look like, uh-huh. which makes a whole, which is a whole other thing. Cause then it just makes this generic, it's the Mr. Brainwash effect. Everything looks like this splatter painted, you know, just really lazy. It's uh, the same thing with all the DJs that are playing out at every yeah, fucking yeah, festival. Yeah. Now. yeah. It so just it, gets marginalized it's, and it's going to go there eventually. And, and you have to stay, stay true to yourself and, and keep plowing on to what you yeah. do and find but whatever you much, can. So. It's a much more depressing, longer road to do that because mm. you know, it's, it, you struggle for so much longer because you, mm. Because it's it's so until you have a name until you've built a big thing around you, mm. you it's impossible to sell your work because people. It's like any new when any new thing comes around, it takes a very long time for it to be accepted on yeah. a level where people can sort of make you know living off of it or mm-hmm. make money off of it. Absolutely. So I, I, but I don't know. I, I I feel like my heart's in the right place and that I'm doing the right thing in that respect. And that goes straight into that, that 
all goes straight into the why the selfie why I did that wall like I did because I just felt like it was an opportunity to say what I wanted to say on a place that's very relevant to the conversation. Although I just I got to tell you I was not prepared. What I this is what I expect typically from a post right what or from a piece I do. I expect when it is a when it's a really great piece of art. Usually it doesn't get received at all mm. when it's something that has, I, you know, I, I just think it's funny. It's like the simple stuff gets the attention of the media and the really amazing nuanced, complicated stuff that's visually really pleasing and whatever mm. that stuff <laughs> that has, a, I don't know that that stuff just doesn't do well. So on a post like that, I, I, or after doing a piece like that and posting it or, or it coming up on social media or in yeah. the media, I typically don't really expect to see it go viral. I just expect, you know, my following to really be excited about it and like, mm. I, oh, but I don't expect it to really go anywhere. And I went back at, I always go, well, I don't always go, but I go back usually, uh, in early in the mornings to get, a day shot of the things I do because a lot of the things I do will disappear within a matter of hours. Mm. So I'll go back and I'll get a day shot. When I went back to get a day shot of that piece at about seven in the morning at first light, when there was enough light to get a photo, there was about 30 people standing around taking photos of it already mm. from people. And in the couple of minutes I was there, people were pulled like people that were, were, turning around on the road and coming back and parking. And at that point I realized I was like, Oh, this oh. is going to be a way bigger deal than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. and, it was in the news then. Yeah. Well, by nine in the morning, there were three, there were three camera vans out in front and they were there all, they were there until 10 or 11 at night. The, that same night, even it had been gone. They painted over at like two o'clock in the mm -hmm. afternoon. It lasted like six or seven hours but they were still there interviewing people and getting B-roll and whatever. But mm. I, and then I saw it starting to pop up everywhere on social media and all of a sudden it just exploded at about mm. 10 in the morning. And it was, you know, I was getting, I got, I mean, typically I'll get 30 DMs a day for different things. Mm. You know, on that day I had 3000 DMs. Mm. And I, I, I put my phone down. I was like, I can't, I don't even know what to do right now. I can't. And then I got a call from my manager at about 10 in the morning and my business manager. And, uh, well, actually I got a really passive aggressive text from her and then we got, and it was really ironic to me because she's always trying to push me to do things that are, exposable no more um how do i say this she's always trying to get me to do things that are more um marketable uh, yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah and like and things that you know you could th that you could sell essentially or whatever and i didn't think this could be something like that but i was definitely like this is one of those things that a lot of people you know are going to post or whatever uh. and that, that are going to, it's, it's going to have that, that I felt for me, it was, it was, it was going to have that effect. 
So it was really funny because she was like, we got in an argument about it. And I said, you know, I do these really, I do all these pieces that are very large scale and they're very political. Like I use the Trump billboard as an example. I said, you know, I did something that was very, very important to me. I put a lot of time and effort into it. We can't like. I'm not going to turn around and try and sell that piece or sell prints of that. I mean, maybe the installation, but the I would sell as a you know whatever. Huh. But but I typically, if it's well, typically I try. I I don't like to make money off of anything that has a a, a human toll to it. So something like the Trump billboard and the statue that I mounted up there with the fence around it. Uh-huh. I mean, it is a great piece, but I don't think I would have sold it because it it's money being made off of the back of imprisoned kids. That that's weird to me. That and I know no, it's kind of a wrong meaning to, to sell something. Artist, yeah, there's an artist in LA called Plastic Jesus and he constantly does that kind of stuff and it just makes me want to throw up. I just can't even understand. And the weird thing to me is like he has a he has a good size following and his stuff makes the media because he used to be a paparazzi, and he throws it uh, to them, and he they, so everything makes it, even though half of well, ninety percent of it doesn't it misses the mark. But you know, he'll turn around and sell something like that, like right after because it went viral or whatever. Now it's worth money, mm. and I think that's kind of a weird, twisted mentality to have if you're a so-called political activist, and then you turn around and make money off of. A severe somebody's severe misfortune like that's weird you know mm. so <clears throat> i mean like uh, for instance like you know he he did the he did a piece where he capitalized on the on the me too movement and last year he does these he does these installations and he sets them on hollywood boulevard for 15 minutes and takes some pictures and then he goes and then he puts it up into the media as like this big thing and all he did was set it down for 15 minutes on Hollywood Boulevard, which isn't even illegal. You can actually do that. But he did it of Harvey Weinstein. And this is a guy who ruined a lot of people's lives. Mm. And he's turning around and trying to sell it a week later for like $50,000. Mm. I mean, that's it's a little bit gross if you think about the it. The golden like, Harvey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um you know, so I, I don't like to do that stuff. So I'm telling her, like, this is something that, you know, we could actually turn around and make shirts of this and sell them. Or mm-hmm. make, you know, and I don't feel bad about that because this isn't some nobody's, you know, it's not, it doesn't have a human cost in that way. No. And so, and then I'm like, this just, this just got so much visibility. And she was pissed because she had to go down to Paul Smith. Because they called her and they wanted to press charges and they were really upset about it. <clears throat> and we had this conversation on the phone that seemed like I had all of a sudden switched and become her and she had become me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was funny, but we saw eye to eye in the end. We talked to Paul Smith and sorted it out with Paul Smith. They ended up not pressing charges, which I'm very grateful for. And, uh, but you know, the, the interesting thing about it is there's another artist who go, who's out here, who goes by, who used to do street art, who does, um, 
he did a he did a he did some rollers and some extinguisher stuff around around town, sort of in the same way that I do it. And he's hit that wall like three times, and he's hit it with really crass statements, like mine is considered a very rude or crass statement. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he either wrote like "do anal" or "eat pussy" mm-hmm. on that wall, and he did it really big too like he didn't take up the entire length of the wall but he took up a good majority let's say two-thirds of it and i found out that um the first time he did it he didn't have permission and paul smith went after him but they ended up working it out and then he actually got permission to do it um the couple other times so that was you know a byproduct or whatever but I kind of went into that wall thinking like – and, and on top of that, that wall gets vandalized like once a week. I mean it always gets vandalized. So I didn't really think too much of it. I mean I knew that it was going to be a big paint over job. But other than that, I was like this wall gets vandalized all the time. You know, it, There's constantly people doing, doing pieces on this wall. So I didn't really think of the after – I mean I thought of – there's always the thing – there's always the thought of the repercussions, you know, and that's a, that's a factor and a, something I have to deal with. Um, and now And now it's even worse because my visibility got raised so much by some recent pieces that, you know, I did a piece around the – I did a piece about two miles away from that the same night in a different color in that extinguisher style – I wrote, you are not a public figure on this really dingy wall near West Hollywood that really could have used a repaint job. Anyways. And we got a call later in the day from and I was from everything that was going wrong with the wall. So they were like, we're going to put some charges and, and blah, blah, blah. So we worked out them, and now I might actually be doing a mural there, which is ironic, but a uh, commission mural there. But it's funny because my my days of doing what I do in L.A. are probably over <laughs> because, you know, that, that I guess the risk versus reward element, the the risk is too much now, you know, like it's. I mean, I understand I can get arrested and that I can get charges pressed. I've already had cases in the past like it's not anything new to me. But I'm tired of going to jail. I'm tired of going to court. I'm tired of hiring lawyers. I'm tired of spending uh-huh. tens of thousands of dollars to fight these cases, uh, you know, over some paint on a wall. It's just so weird to me that it comes with such a level of repeat. And the whole vandalism thing is so funny to me because I look at civilization as vandalism. I look at these ugly buildings everywhere and these horrible, ugly cities that we've built on top of nature as mm. vandalism. And I'm sure if you ask the animals if they could talk that lived there once that have been displaced, they would probably be pretty bummed about everything that's been built there. So yeah, for, me, like, I, for me, I, I'm just looking at a bunch of trash. Mm. And what I do at least is commentary on the trash. Yeah. You know, and a lot of, I think it's funny how ingrained and how conditioned people are to the so-called norms of society that they think what I do is, is bad and illegal. And, and uh-huh. I'm going, well, what about the indigenous people that lived here before and the indigenous animals that lived here before and the indigenous plant life that lived here before, uh-huh. you know, we installed all this concrete. I bet, th- I bet if you ask them, 
they would probably say that this is vandalism. Mm -hmm. And if you took a discussion with people, a real serious discussion about all this science everywhere flashing day day in and day out, Oh, yeah. The noise pollution of it all and the sound pollution, that's vandalism for a lot of people. But, you know, it never gets discussed because it's business. It's business just yeah. as usual. So, but, so uh, 10,000 billboards in Los Angeles, of 10, which 4,000 mm. uh, 4, of them are illegal, mm. meaning they're, on, they're mounted on buildings that don't have the uh, infrastructure to support mm. them. Or they're placed in they're placed in places where it's illegal to place them. Mm. So it's kind of funny because it's like, well, that billboard that I just did—that's an illegal billboard. It's not even supposed to be there, anyways. No. Okay, we're we're coming up at two hours here, so I, I know it's time. <laughs> yeah. If you want, we can do a follow-up episode yeah. to cover other things. Yeah, um, I, that's, I was thinking about that too, but before and. Um, I I always end my podcast with a, a you know a couple of questions. So the idea okay. is that I want you to think of three things that you would like to have learned early on, or three things that you would want someone else to you know in, in your field or in arts or in music that you would want them to learn. And uh, okay. like, this so is a we'll, great, we'll end great. up there. So the first one that I would say, would, I'll answer the question uh, first of um, what I wish I had known mm-hmm. when I started. I, I think the biggest thing that I wish I had known before I started was that people don't – if you're gonna if you're gonna be an activist and you want to make money off of it, activism doesn't pay. <laughs> I wish I would have known that. I wish I would have known that um, that people wouldn't want to hang political street art in their homes. And I, I don't mean like I I kind of went into it with this naivete that a lot of the aggressive, really aggressive stuff that I do would be stuff that people would, would, you know, value and want to hang in their homes as collectible art or whatever, you know, in a fine art version of what I do on the street. And that just isn't the case. And I really wish I would have known that because, um, I'll tell you quite frankly, to be honest, like I really am glad there's a huge part of me that is glad that I do what I do. And I, I guess like, it's great that, that I don't, I don't want to, I just, I'm trying to make this sound not arrogant. So there aren't a lot of people, there aren't a lot of artists left doing what I doing this sort of work anymore. And I, I guess I'm glad that I'm out here doing it because at least somebody's doing it. Cause it should, it needs to be done. Uh-huh. And at the risk of sounding arrogant, but at the same time, it has been that, you know, that whole Colin Kaepernick ad or whatever, like the Nike ad, like uh. be willing to sacrifice everything. I just feel like I've lived that. I've sacrificed most of my friendships, not meaning I don't have them anymore. It's just I don't ever get to see. I don't see friends. I, I don't see my family a lot. I don't. 
I, I know I travel a lot, but it's not the kind of traveling that you guys think or that most people think it is. Like, yeah, I went to Hawaii and it was and it was amazing. And I and I ventured into the mountains and that was quite spiritual experience. But like I didn't go to Hawaii and go to the beach. I'm the only tourist that's ever <laughs> gone to Hawaii for a week. And I never I didn't go to the beach. I never foot set foot on sand the entire time I was there. So I saw the ocean from from a car. In Hawaii. So, so yes, I travel, but it's not the kind of traveling that people think it is. Um, it's just, it's a lot, it's a lot of sacrifice. I, I, you know, I mean, I just physically and mentally, it's, it's insane. I like, Mm -hmm. I, it's fun, but it's exhausting at the same time. yeah. 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 It's just, you know, but you have, but if you want to be, if you want to be a standout in whatever it is you do, then you have to do it, and, or unless you're like, you know, unless you're like <clears throat> Mr. Brainwash and your family has a bunch of money and you buy your way in, or you're, uh-huh. you know, or you're, um, unless you're, if you're set up or whatever, and it's, then it's not, I guess you can buy your way in, but I wasn't able to buy my way in, so it's been a long, hard road. That leads me into the next uh, conversation, or the next question you asked, which is what, 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 what advice would I give someone else, or what uh-huh. would I tell someone else right now at this point in my life where I'm at, if somebody wanted to start doing political street art, I would say I would flat out tell them like, if, if I had to do it over, I wouldn't do it. And I know that's selfish, but why is it selfish? Well, because you know, I like, Okay, let's just put it this way. I've probably spent two or three million dollars in my career as a street artist, and that's not an exaggeration. And I've probably made maybe a hundred and fifty thousand dollars off of it. So, from a standpoint of like being the broke artist, uh-huh. I mean, that's me. And right now, where I'm at in my life, I I'm just I'm tired of being I'm. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm exhausted all the time. I, um, you know, I'm starting to sell more work, which is great, but mo- it's feast or famine. You know, it's not. It's I don't make a bunch of money from this. I'm not like I. I have like seventeen dollars in my bank account, and all my credit cards are maxed out, and I'm waiting for a couple of checks that'll get me through the next month. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It's not glamorous. I would. I would honestly say don't don't do it like just if there's something else you like some other aesthetic that you like and but you still want to do street art or it's more poppy or it's more Uh whatever if you're not prepared to to put your to physically and emotionally put yourself into borderline like psychotic restraint then i don't know like don't do it because it's i mean it's tough. It's, not, it's yeah. It, it's it's a lot harder than the song goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, because the other thing about street art is that up until a few years ago, it, it's not like you could really make money from it unless you were the biggest in the game, like Banksy or Shepard Fairey. Mm-hmm. It's only mm-hmm. now where it's as popular commercially as it is where you can make money off of it. The on the, the other thing I would say to people is, I would tell them. If they're only going to do it to 
promote their cool art and to get into galleries and to build a name, stay the fuck away from it. Uh. Because that is the fakest, most shitty thing to do is to be an opportunist and cash in on, on things like that. You know, like this, this street art has a lot of value and it can, and it can really be a tool to do a lot of good. And it always has been, but you know, now it's not the case anymore. It's, it's, um, it's just basically become like, how cool is, you know, how cool is my art and put me in your gallery and buy this. You know, I've, I've been doing street art for three weeks. I put up a couple of posters, my board buy this I'm Banksy now. And that's kind of how I feel about it. I know it sucks to hear and whatever, but no, but I think it's good advice because you know, everybody has their own stories and some of them are successful and some of them are less successful, but that doesn't take away anything that happened and the story is still good and the story is still valid. Yeah. yeah, yeah same yeah. thing for me. I mean, I, I never signed to any major labor law contract like that with but I do all my music the way I want it, the when I want it, and I publish it wherever I want it. I use every media that I can, but I still make any kind of music I want to. If I was confined to some of the labels that are you know that are interested, then I would have to supply to how that industry works, and I'm just not willing to do that. So I'll find another method of getting yeah. my check. Yeah, great. That's awesome. The cool thing is we do live in that world now though. You can you know, you can sort of DIY your career now, which is mm-hmm. great. 90% of the money that I make off of art comes from comes from Instagram. Donations. <laughs> yeah. Mm, support. And and yeah. that's and that's uh, <laughs> that, that's one of the, the the great things about these social media things that you can be uh, an artist doing music or doing arts and, and posting it on different places and saying if you like my art then please support me at this and this and people actually do it because they think it's valuable they think it's interesting and they want to see you excel because that's how people are they, they like money they like to whine a lot you know be a bitchy and whine like ah fucking thing but they also want to see change because change is in everybody and in everything. So they, yeah. if they can't have it, they want to see it. They want to see people succeed. And I think that's something that everybody should really take in consideration that, okay, how can I support this person, whatever they're doing? Maybe it's just a click of like or spread the word, but it's still something that will send the message out and say, hey, look at this person. And, and and in a sense that that's why we're talking you and me here because you did great work, you did amazing big beautiful handbags that are in the middle of nowhere that probably no one will ever see live, but the yeah. pictures are beautiful and you know posters of that and so on and so on will sell because the the idea is genius and the execution is ruthlessly good. And it's not wasted. Even if you don't make a penny, it's freaking beautiful. And it sends the right message to exactly the buyer of that authentic or fake bag. 
Yeah. Because there's so much in that, and that is art. And you know, you might not make some money from that, uh, but I bet you you'll make some money of something else, because you still yeah, have right. that. You still have that engine in in you that says, "Fuck, I'll create something." Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, that's so true. It's so true. It just, you know, I want to, I want to put all of my energy towards the activist-oriented side of stuff. But if it's not, if it, if people aren't going to hang it in their house, I got to eat, you know, I got to yeah. like, and I, and I got to create. So for me having a nine to five job, although I've always had one, mm-hmm. I still have one. I don't work there as much, but you know, I've worked construction my whole life and I've worked odd jobs to, to do the creative things I've done. But, but you know, I still technically work construction. I just haven't worked there. And, you know, finally I was able to start living off, living off my art a few months ago and um y- you know i uh i i'm really grateful for that but it's i want to be free to create all the time and making money off of art is how i can do that but uh-huh. people uh-huh. people don't want to hang the kind of art that i do in their home so you have to kind of branch out and do other stuff which is still fulfilling but mm. just in a different way i guess yeah i, uh, mean, I, I, I would I would honestly like to dedicate 100 percent of my time to activist oriented stuff mm. you know well maybe just you know do do t-shirts with the same idea and sell them yourself at some store I mean, you could do just pink T-shirts with the same freaking text that you put on that wall, oh, yeah, and that it's will already, sell. Yeah, it's, that's in the works. Yeah, it's that's already. what I mean. So, yeah. I mean, the next thing that you do as a wall or, or a billboard, put it on a fucking T-shirt. People love that. They, they might not just want to give you the money straight up, but they would like to buy a T-shirt or a poster or something because that's that's you too. So, And that's the market of, uh, of making stuff and getting something for for the money that you're putting in there so okay yeah 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 this has been a great conversation man i'd love to do it again if if you're into it but just let me know and absolutely and uh sorry about the couple of um of uh don't don't ever apologize for that people you know stuff happened people live their lives i do too so yeah. you know, whenever we can talk or hook up and 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 see each other, that'll yeah. happen. Then it'll happen, uh, and I'm grateful for that. But I'm awesome. Ex- well, listen, um, I yeah, I definitely would love to talk about the bag project with you. And mm-hmm. um, on a on a tangential note here, I'm I'm going to be sort of going back to the bag project, actually, like doing more of them, and I'm going to be doing a big I'm doing it working on a documentary about mm-hmm. the whole thing because it's been it's far more than just the painting that I did Good. the, the story is pretty interesting yeah but um and listen uh, if you ever need any music to your oh, videos oh, and stuff oh you, I do I was going to talk to you about that too but sure. say, if you want to do an episode like maybe as much December, as you want <laughs> you just tell me I like music this style I would like this kind of pieces that long and I want it this week I'll make really? it happen for it. Absolutely not a problem. And I won't take a penny for it. Well, no, if I, well, here's how it works with me. Well, I'll come, I'll have my manager send a contract that basically states that'll, you know, that will work out the percentage or whatever uh-huh. based on if I'm making money off of something or sure. not, but not a problem, but I don't, I don't make money off of the posts. So I, you know, but no. it would be something 
if you did music to a post that I ended up making into shirts or something like that, that's how we could do it. It's not a problem. You know, like I said, I have a day job and I have a music job and I have a podcasting job. So whichever makes me money, I'll have, I'll be happy to get that, you know, but cool. if, it, if it doesn't, I'll still make music every fucking day. I'm making three albums right now. So, and maybe some of them will make me money. But usually it takes a couple of years before I see any of those money, even if they go into films and so on. So, but it's not a thing for me. I'll, I'll still keep making my stuff because yeah. I love to create. I love to wake up every Sunday at 6 o'clock, put on my guitar, drink a cup of coffee, and make three songs and post them if I want to. So that, that's how I work. And, you know, it's always nice to, to get feedback and to get asked to do stuff. But even then, if, if nobody does it, I still made my art. I still yeah, loved it. Yeah, you're still making it. Well, listen, I'm going gonna, um, gonna to have to stop now because I'm getting yeah. up at 7. All right. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you again. You too, bud. See you later. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.